The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are bugs ruining your evenings outside? Do you want to reclaim your yard from those pesky bugs? Well, Mosquito Marshals is here to help, to let their customers and their families enjoy living outside again. At Mosquito Marshals, their top priority is to keep their customers bite-free by providing the best mosquito control services in the industry. The goal is simple, to protect their customers' homes and businesses from mosquitoes, fleas, ticks, and they stand by their results. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll respray your yard for free. But how do I know this? Because I have first-hand experience. Mosquito marshals rode out to my house and sprayed my yard. Took them no time, and I haven't seen a mosquito since. And trust me, I'm just like you. In quarantine, all me and my daughters can do is go outside, ride a bike, play some ping pong in the garage. Don't let a mosquito mess up your good time. No, schedule your appointment today. You can give them a call at 662-715-1818. That's 662-715-1818. Or visit Mosquito Marshalls online at mosquitomarshalls.com. Mosquito Marshalls, serving Oxford, Batesville, Water Valley, New Albany, Pontotoc, wherever you are, they'll come to you. Mosquito Marshalls. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter and the co-host chair, of course, for the second time, it's Brian Scott Rippey formerly of Super Talk, now of the Ole Miss Spirit, the website that we both write for, an affiliate of 247 Sports. If you haven't already subscribed, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. When you do, leave a five-star review. doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. On this Monday, some stuff going on. Ole Miss Baylor officially moved from Saturday to Sunday, September 6th. You got John Rice Plumley being first in one particular category, according to Pro Football Focus. There's some stuff. There's some sports. What's up, Rippy? Not much, man. How was the weekend? I played golf. I did too. I went to Dancing Rabbit Saturday and then played here with my dad in Jackson on Sunday. Did you play well both times? Uh, played very average at Dancing Rabbit. Had a horrible front nine on Sunday and a pretty good back nine. So, like, I would give it like a B minus performance for the weekend, maybe C plus. Rippy's a good golfer. Let's make no mistake about it. I am not a good golfer. Rippy makes me sick. But I tell you, you're just getting him. back into it. That's true. And I always have more good than bad. You played with me. I had some good shots. It's that I, that I have those really disaster moments, those disaster holes that I just can't get over. That's my problem. But I texted you because I, for the first time in God knows how long, parged six straight holes to end around. And I thought, okay, I figured it out. I'm good. I've got it. Chipping had been a problem. Hitting fairways. I figured it out. That did not carry over on Sunday. It's almost like it's the hardest game ever or something. I hate it. I hate it so much, man. <laughs> and yeah, I keep going back. 
that's what's crazy about it is unlike any other sport, it's kind of has like an addictive quality too. you. You could play like complete crap and then hit four or five good shots and that'll get you back out there the next time every single time. That's the problem on three because I play at Oaks. I live right across the street from Oaks Country Club in New Albany. So if you're a murderer out there, hey, don't keep my address. Anyway, <laughs> I live across the street from a country club and on three, I hit my drive a little bit off to the side, off to the right. I had to punch it through some trees and I got out a low iron. I did it, and I ran it up on the green, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm a good golfer. And then, of course, I like two or three putter for par bogey. I can't remember. But that's the thing. Those shots keep you coming back. And break your putter. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck gave me a new putter, which has been better, but it's not going to help. I'm just a bad golfer. Um, a lot going on on this Monday. We're going to talk about a number of different things. Got Anthony Servideo, the newest member of the Baltimore Orioles, formerly of Ole Miss Baseball. We can say that now. He's not coming back. He is officially a former Ole Miss Rebel. He's going to go play for the Baltimore Orioles, get in their system. A third-round pick. Tyler Keenan went in the fourth. Anthony Servideo coming up in just a little bit on the Modern Women phone line. But first and foremost, what did you think about where they were taken, when they were taken? Any surprises to you? No, I didn't think it was totally shocking, uh, I guess, first and foremost on the Servideo end. I thought there was a chance he might could creep uh, into the second round, but gets drafted pretty early in the third. Seems like a decent fit. What I'm fascinated with, is his stock rose so much in such a short amount of time. Just say they played the season out, Ole Miss, whatever they did in the postseason, doesn't matter. But full season sample size, I mean, the way he was playing, how much further do you think he could have crept up if they'd had a season? The supplemental round after the first? I think so, too. I mean, that sounds lofty, but, man, he was on a tear. And if everything else, like, it was one of those things going in the air. It's like, if he can hit, his draft stock is going to skyrocket. And he definitely did that at a high clip in the 17 games they did play. And then, I don't know, Keenan's interesting. Congrats. He's uh, a, a Chaz Mariner. Um, I didn't really know where he was going to go. Uh, in the, <laughs> like, I didn't know if he, I figured he'd probably be a top five round guy, but he was the one that was hardest to forecast. I don't know if you felt the same way. Me too. And there was a lot of doubt about him. I've said this before. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but there was a lot of doubt about whether or not because of his body type, which hasn't changed in three years, or whether or not he was destined to go to first base because they want him to stay at third. And that's what the Mariner scout said when we talked to him late on Thursday. Got him. All my days running together. Late on Thursday, once he was drafted, even if he ends up at first base, they like the bat. So I think there is some general doubt about whether or not he can stay at third base, but the bat is going to play. I'm glad to see him get drafted, but that was the only doubt. I think had Tyler, and this is no knock on Tyler because he's one of the most productive players in almost history, but had he done a little bit more work to his body, he's probably going top two or three rounds. Um, so the fourth round, about right. I didn't expect him to not go drafted. I know his number was pretty high, but Tyler Keenan was ready to go, and he should be ready to go. It's his time to go. It's just unfortunate that his junior year, because he was on a tear, an 11-game hitting streak, driven in 33 runs. I think that was tied for first in the country. He was on such a tear, just like Servideo, that you want to see him get rewarded for that. And he was, and then Servideo going in the third, that's about where he expected to go. The Orioles were one of the many teams that were interested in him or showing the most interest. I think the one thing that really stuck out to me when I was going through all the reports and stuff, MLB.com was doing a scouting evaluation of Anthony Servideo and actually mentioned him as a better defensive third baseman than Greg Kessinger. Really? Yeah. I guess I could hear a case for it. That's not something I would immediately think of. But, I mean, he was good. Like, I mean, and he played a lot. Like, to me, the way he was able to kind of learn right field uh, the previous year or two and actually become a pretty decent, like, defensive college right fielder was impressive, too. And then you got second base as well. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Do you? I kind of do. Okay. Now, Greg Kessinger is a good friend of the pod. And Anthony Servideo doesn't have the arm of Greg Kessinger as far as throwing power. But he's slick, and he can get to pretty much everything. I think he has a little bit more range, and the arm isn't that far off. I think the thing we are surprised by, being that we cover Ole Miss, or if you're an Ole Miss fan listening to this, is Greg Kessinger was so good, started as a freshman, started as a sophomore. You're not moving him off of it. But on any other team in the country, and all the players said this about Servideo, he'd be the starting shortstop. But because you have Greg Kessinger, you're not going to move Greg Kessinger to third base. You're not going to move him to second base. Anthony Servideo, you're the young buck you come up. But he showed this year, defensively, he's pretty much every bit as good, at least through the eyes of evaluators, through scouts. He is every bit as good. And to see him get rewarded with a top three-round pick, I think it's a little bit surprising how the draft fell and how teams were taking players. Because you saw some reaches. 
You saw some weird treatment of high schoolers in this draft. It was bizarre, but what seemed to go a little bit shock was Anthony Servideo, and that was good to see. And I think it's a good fit because it's a cool story. His grandfather was an Oriole, uh, won a World Series with the Orioles, if I understand correctly. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff to go with that story. But now it's official. You've lost two players, and you did a projected starting lineup on Sunday. You lose those two guys. That's the entire left side of your infield. It is the entire left side of your infield. It's kind of a weird dynamic going into next year, though, because you lose the entire left side of your infield, but everything else is kind of set, is kind of what I fig- like noticed from writing that yesterday. I mean, you've got to find a third baseman. you got to find a shortstop. But when you go through the other seven positions, or six, I guess, because we left out pitcher, but like everything else seemed almost pretty pretty straightforward. Now, there will be some some questions at DH, and, and they'll probably rotate a couple guys through the corner outfield slots. But the other six, like, I mean, it, it, they got a lot coming back. And so if you can figure out the left side of the infield, everything else is, is kind of sturdy and, and, and ready to pick up where last year left off. The question isn't so much about filling their spots in the field because Tim Elko, he announced on Twitter, see you in Omaha. He's coming back, didn't lose any leverage, obviously, as a draft-eligible junior. In any other year, he would get drafted, he would go. Um, but because of the shortened draft, and only being five rounds, he's coming back. He's going to play third base. I think he's the leading candidate. There's some other guys that could factor in, but he's the most obvious candidate to step in at third base. Shortstop, TJ McCants, Peyton Chatagnier, a Justin Bench. Justin Bench can play all over, and that versatility is invaluable. That's not the question. The question is, who hits leadoff? And who hits third? Agreed. The uh, Elko thing's interesting because third is his natural position. And you remember in 18, he and Keenan kind of platooned there to start the year. It was a competition and Keenan beat him out. So like there was a world, I guess, if Keenan hadn't performed so well, that, that Elko would have been your starting third baseman on that, on that 18 team. But it obviously didn't shake out that way. But yeah, I agree. Who's your leadoff hitter? Who hits third? Early guesses to leadoff hitter? Peyton Chatton, yeah. I think I like that as well. The three-hole is so fascinating to me because it's been such a luxury for Ole Miss. Every single year, for the last three years, you could write in Tyler Keenan. It didn't matter if you thought he should be hitting second because you're a Sabre guy like me and Colin and we're nerds about it and we say your best hitter should bat second. It didn't matter about if you thought he should be hitting cleanup because you're a traditionalist and said, okay, he's a huge RBI guy, bat him cleanup. Every single day he played, for the most part, there were some times he got knocked down to like six, which was bizarre. Pretty much every time he played, he was penciled in in the three-hole. And to not have that luxury, there's no obvious guy. Now, there's some candidates. There's some guys that you could see step up, really take ownership of that role, like a Hayden Leatherwood makes a lot of sense. I was, you took the words out of my mouth. I was literally just about to say, could I present you Hayden Leatherwood? That was the first one that came to my mind. Because you talk about a guy who didn't quite get as many like he played a decent bit. He actually got more at bats than I remembered when I was looking through the numbers yesterday. But you talk about productive when given the opportunity. He, there's not much else he could have done. That was uh, I mentioned. There's no clear cut, but that was the one that stuck out before all the others to me was Leatherwood. Isn't Kevin Graham supposed to be that guy at this point? But he got to be able to hit left-handed pitching, and I'm yeah. just not sure they trust him to do that at that point. And I think that's why your D. If he, you know, obviously he'll probably play some right field. But if you platoon the DH next year, it's probably a matchup thing with Graham and then Van Cleve or whoever else. But I just don't think you got to see an uptick in, against him against left-handers to really trust him to do that every day, don't you? Yeah, I just have a sinking feeling that Justin Bench, who I love as a player, he's a glue guy. He's a guy that you absolutely have to have. I mentioned his versatility. But as a bat, he's not much. He doesn't bring you much. He's going to hit to get on base. He's not going to walk a ton. He's not going to hit for a lot of power. But as long as he's getting hits, it's kind of like Ryan Olenek. I think he's a better version of Ryan Olenek, except he can't run as well as Ryan Olenek can. Well, Ryan Olenek wasn't that fleet of foot. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just he's, ask Ryan Olenek. Yeah. He's kind of an empty <laughs> average, but that's okay in college if you keep that bat where it's supposed to be, which is at the end, back end of the lineup. I have this sinking feeling that if Peyton Chatney bats first, who do you think is going to bat second? We'll get right back to Brian Scott Rippey in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford and Cheney's Pharmacy. We're all doing whatever we can to survive quarantine, right? It can be tough. We're making purchases to keep our sanity, to keep us happy. Maybe you're going on Amazon, hitting add to cart, purchase. Maybe, just maybe, you're in the market for a new car. And if you are, I know the place you should go. The only place you should go. 
and that's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Alan Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. But what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is Alan Samuels aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now, I only vouch for sponsors I truly believe in. If I myself have not had a personal experience with any sponsor, they're not going to be on this podcast. And my longest relationship is with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Why? Because I can't say enough good things about Brian and Mason and the rest of the team. I don't like to haggle. I don't like to negotiate. I don't like the whole process of buying a car. With Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, you can avoid all of that. They're looking out for you. So give them a call today, 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, the only place to find your perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Self-isolation, quarantine, has brought about its own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, they've earned your trust. You can count on them. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down. Give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays, you can find them online at Cheney'sPharmacy.com. We've all got our own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Chatney first, second, but you got to like give me Ely's numbers next year. Exactly, exactly. Can he hit? Because if like, Ely can, can hit, he's leading off. This year. He's leading off. Yeah, I agree. Season. Yeah. Four is going to be Kel Baker, whoever's playing first. Maybe Tim Elko. Tim Elko could be that kind of guy. I still kind of want to see more from Tim. I still think that even though college baseball is a game of small samples, that last year, um, yeah, he really performed. He really started hitting. But let me see you do it for about two months. That was probably one of the greatest, uh, I don't know if mystery is the right word, but if you're talking about like what like things you were been most interested to see if the season had continued – it was one, the Servideo thing I brought up at the top of this podcast, and two was how how real was this start to the season for Elko? That was uh, that was probably my second storyline in terms of just lost things we didn't get to see. That's uh, that's probably number two for me. But when I see a ball bounce off the batter's eye that he hit, yeah. <laughs> I think you kind of figure something out. I'll tell you what, they're not the same player, and I, I don't mean this as like a knock at Elko at all. But two guys that were just absolutely fascinating to watch and entertaining as hell to watch in batting practice were he and Chase Cockrell. Yes. Just because of the raw power. I mean, they hit moonshots. God, Chase Cockrell just fell apart his last year. It's like Pedro Severo. He was good with the straight ball, just not, not one that curved. And that was always the problem with him. And I remember we would sit in the media press box there at Swayze Field, and you and Chase would joke about it. Why any pitcher would throw him anything but a curveball or a slider? Why in the world are you throwing him a fastball? Because he can't hit anything else. Yeah, I mean, I get coaches that are probably calling the pitches in college, but just from a pro perspective, if I was the manager of an opposing team, I would yank the pitcher if you threw him a fastball. Yeah, the book was kind of out on Chase Cockrell his last year. At that point, everybody kind of knew. Yeah, just throw him anything else. I do think that the lineup um, is the most interesting thing about this team. Because everything else, like you said, it's set. The pitching staff set. They're returning everybody. Bullpen, starting rotation, midweek guys, infield, outfield. You can pretty much put a number of different guys in different spots. It's the lineup. That'll be interesting to see how Mike Bianco fills it out. But to me, it's still an Omaha team. And anything less than Omaha next year is going to be a disappointment because this team appeared ticketed for Omaha. Now, it's Ole Miss. And Ole Miss, can we are Ole Miss pretty much anything? But still, it looked like an Omaha team. And I think that going into next year, that expectation, pressure that Ole Miss fans are going to put on a Mike Bianco to go out there and lead that team that they thought was an Omaha team this year to Omaha. There's been years and years of pressure on Mike Bianco to go to Omaha. You haven't seen this kind of pressure since 2014 when he absolutely had to get there. 
And if you're going to go, I keep going down the list here, but storyline number three that we were robbed of this year, and we talked about this, and this is something on, on my last podcast that I talked about ad nauseum. This team had a different vibe to it. They had a very, like, carefree kind of FU almost attitude to them, and they just kind of went out and played. And you covered the 19 team, obviously, as well. That was such a weird regular season after what happened in 18 and the whole regular season just felt like a slog. And you just kind of felt the weight of that Black Monday kind of leaning, lingering over them the whole year. They were probably tired during the regular season because they knew ultimately what they would be defined as happened in June. And, you know, it's a, the core was Oxford kids. Like, it's a Roth. It's a Dillard. It was Kessinger. Like, they're not soft by any means. But you could tell that that kind of postseason's past, maybe they were a little more aware of it. And this team just kind of seemed like, a little bit oblivious to it. It was a bunch of out-of-state kids. They had a lot of fun. Like, if, if does that make any sense at all? Like, I would have been fascinated to see how this team responded to kind of the Ole Miss postseason pressure uh, that's kind of been created over the last decade and a half. They seemed much better equipped to handle it because of that attitude. Because I don't think it's even arguable. This team definitely had a different vibe than most Mike Bianco teams. No, I absolutely love that. Because I haven't really thought about it in those terms, but and this is going to sound like a knock. It's not meant to be. That 2019 team was mentally fragile. I love Thomas Dillard. I love Greg Kessinger, but they were Oxford kids that knew the pressure of it. They felt it, and if things turned wrong, they were great leaders. Make no mistake, those were great leaders. Were those kids? But they felt it. They couldn't help but feel it. They'd been living in it for so long. It's only human nature to feel it. So when I say fragile, I'm not saying that they were weak mind or anything like that. So much as they wore your frustration. They wore your disappointment. They felt it just like you did. This team didn't give a shit. And that's what made it so good. And you had newcomers coming in, the best signing class Ole Miss has ever had. That's better than the Thomas Diller, Greg Kessinger group. That group, they were so used to success that, yes, Ole Miss might have been to us different things as far as what we expect Ole Miss to be, what the history is, what we think Ole Miss is supposed to do as far as disappointment and success. Those guys didn't care about none of it. They came to Ole Miss to win. They're used to winning. And that's the mindset that the newcomers had. And you blend that in with guys like Elko, who've been through it. You blend that in with a guy like Keenan, that despite everything else around him, you have the fragility of some guys who lived in that disappointment of Ole Miss for their entire lives. Keenan just kept raking he didn't care. He just kept breaking. Anthony Servideo, one of the cockiest dudes, and I say that the most endearing way possible. He's on this podcast coming up in a minute. But one of the cockiest dudes you'll meet because on a baseball field, you have to be cocky. You have to believe that there's no way that the dude across from me is going to be able to beat me, going to be able to get me out. That group was just different. It was just special. I don't know who the true leaders are going to be, but I don't know if it even matters. Because while Anthony Servideo, we can point to him and say, yes, that was the leader of the 2020 Ole Miss baseball team, really it was a collective effort. I could point to maybe 10, 11, 12 guys that were leaders for that team. And some of them were freshmen, like a Peyton Chatney. Peyton Chatney didn't care. And that's what made them so good. Yeah, that was a much better way to put that when you're talking about the fragility. And it's not an insult, because at the same thing you mentioned, like I like the way you described it saying, they wore the fans' frustrations. And I'm talking just years of it, like the entire really Bianco era, because those kids grew up in Oxford and they were certainly aware. But they can played, you blame with, them they for played having... with Mike's kids. Exactly. And can you blame them when arguably one of the kind of most just gut-wrenching chapters of that kind of postseason futility was written by them in 2018 <laughs> and having that happen to them? I mean, obviously you can make the argument of, 05 super, 09 super, I, I hear all of that. But that, that Black Monday's up there. I mean, losing twice to, to Tennessee Tech on a Monday, the way that ended, like that's definitely up there in the Mike Bianco postseason book and the chapter in this whole era. So it's almost like, can you blame them for being a little bit after having, I mean, traumatic sounds a little bit over dramatic here, but in a baseball sense, it really was. Like you almost couldn't blame them for being a little bit fragile. That would be in my mind the whole year. There's no way you could put it out. You're only human. Honestly, I could make a case for Black Monday being the worst day in Ole Miss baseball history. Now, many will want to point to the Ole Miss-Texas Super in Oxford and Stephen Head striking out and that ending it because everyone believes the championship was won in Oxford that year. Had Ole Miss come out, they're going to Omaha and winning a championship. 
but it was Texas. It was an unbelievable series, and knowing what that could have been was devastating. But as far as everything that had built up to Black Monday, postseason futility, wanting to get back to Omaha, this being the best shot since that team against Texas, Heads team against Texas, I can make an argument that Black Monday is the worst day. And the fact that I can make that argument should tell you how painful that it was because nothing I thought would ever compare because I was in the outfield when it happened to when Steven had struck out and Ole Miss loses to Texas because everybody thought that team is going to win the World Series. So to even get to that point, get in the conversation, should tell you how bad Black Monday was. And those guys wore it. This team didn't care. And Anthony Cerrudio was a perfect personification of not caring. He believed he was better than you and they were going to beat you. And that's why when I was doing all these exit interviews, the season had been canceled. I'm talking to Cerrudio, Elko, Taylor Broadway, one of the most quiet dudes when you talk to him that you'll ever meet, one of the kindest dudes you'll ever meet. But this is a guy who had no success last year and then started to emerge as one of the most dominant closers in college baseball this year. And every single one of these dudes to a man would say the same thing. Oh, 100%, we were going to Omaha. They didn't even blink. Now, of course, that's lip service that you get from every college baseball player. We're going to Omaha. That's the goal. But when they said it, they said it and meant it, right? When they said it, you knew exactly what they were trying to say. That y'all can say what you want to. Y'all can do your whole cute little storyline shit. We're going to Omaha. We were going. And we were going to win. Now, who's to say they were going to win or not? That's a completely different deal. I mean, that's a crapshoot once you get to Omaha. But they sure as heck believed that no matter what, they were going. And it was impossible not to believe them. Yeah, and maybe I'm just reading too much into it. But obviously, right before we, we recorded this, I was on a, the Baltimore Orioles call with Sir Video or whatever. And he got asked about like what how the draft process was different. But a segment of his answer, he just said, you know, and I had more time to focus on it, even though, uh, you know, because there was no season. And he said, where in most years, I would have been focused on winning the national championship. And I just thought that kind of mindset is telling because and maybe I'm reading too much into it but a lot of times you hear them yeah we want to get to Omaha get through supers and all that but he just kind of went straight through all of that and just said yeah we were focused on winning the national championship yeah yeah, like I mean it's just it's a different mindset and I agree on the 18 thing just because it was the steepest fall like they just bludgeoned everyone for the last seven weeks of that season and really just rolled through the first part of that regional. And then all of a sudden it was just gone. Like there wasn't much struggle there. They were beating the hell out of everyone. It's like everybody bought into the fact that Tennessee tech was this offensive powerhouse. We just accepted it. Fans, media, players, coaches, everyone accepted Tennessee tech. They're an offensive powerhouse. And then they go and get shut down in the Super Regional. It just shows you the fragility, in my opinion, of that team and of the fan base and of the media at the time. The guy was a right fielder. Yeah. Because for everyone, for everyone, they were so focused on not failing rather than going out there and taking it and just doing the thing. And this year, this team, they just believed every time they lined up that they were going to win. And they were 16-1 and through 17 games. And this is nothing to sneeze at. Yes, it was a short season. But think about the teams they beat and the pitchers they beat. I don't know. It's going to be the greatest what-if season in any big three sport in Ole Miss history, in my opinion. Outside and, of, excuse me, outside of 4th and 25, because if you don't have 4th and 25, Ole Miss goes to the playoff. Yeah, yeah. And and what's crazy is, like, if Mike ever – I have no idea if it'll happen. I don't know if it'll happen at Ole Miss – but if Mike ever does bust through again, and then hell, let's just say win the whole thing, what a book his career here at Ole Miss is. Like, can you imagine writing that book and how many chapters there are? I mean, it would be really compelling stuff. It would also take you forever if you wanted to do it the right way. But I mean, what kind of book would that be if he's ever ever able to actually win the whole thing after all of these just bizarre and heartbreaking chapters before it? Look. Mike Bianco is a good Catholic, so he wouldn't do this. But if it were me, because I can be obnoxious, and you sometimes allow people's hate to fuel you a little bit, if he ever wins again, gets to Omaha, if he wins a national championship, walking into whatever press conference, announcement, welcome back on the tarmac, I'm walking out like Kenny Powers and just double burden a lot of people. (laughs) 
What did he just retire on the spot? I have nothing else left to do here. Yeah, I'm done. It's over. It'd be impossible not to. Now, yeah, I'm not re- saying... Look, I'm as critical of anybody of Mike Bianco. You and me both. We have to be. We have to be fair. But some of the harsh, harsh opinion toward Mike Bianco, you got to admit it, whether you fall on the side of there are things you can do better or he's the perfect guy. Mike Bianco built Ole Miss baseball. He's the reason why Ole Miss baseball is something you care about. He does have to get back to Omaha. And if he ever won a national championship, here's the thing, here's the thing. If he won a national championship, you cannot tell me there wouldn't be a segment of the Ole Miss fan base that would be opposed to Ole Miss building a statue or naming Swayze Field after him, even though he won a national championship. He wins a national championship and people go, oh, he should have won two or three more. There'll be a segment to do that, even though he carries Ole Miss to the greatest accomplishment in school history in baseball. No, no, no. No, forget the statue. We should build a statue for Stephen Head. Any reason not to give Mike Bianco his due. If that ever a statue is erected, and if the person out there that's in charge of building it by chance is listening to this, will you please make the statue one of the poses when he's explaining the ground rules before the game and talking with his hands? <laughs> that would be the most perfect Mike Bianco pose. Just find one when he's explaining what's a foul ball and what's not. My favorite, or my suggestion would be that picture, i got to find it, where he's arguing with an umpire, and he's got his left hand on his hip, and his fingers pointing right in dude's face. That's Mike Bianco pretty much to everybody in his life. I have a theory that he treats all of us like umpires. Yes. And it's the fairest way to treat people. Especially you. He trolls you at this point. Yeah, he treats me like Joe West. Yeah. No, you are absolutely no, no, no. You're Angel Hernandez. <laughs> One of the two. Those are interchangeable. Yeah. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippy at BS Rippy on Twitter. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five star review. Also available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit. OleMissSpirit.com and affiliate of Two Four Seven Sports. Going to go now to the Modern Woman phone line to speak to Anthony Servideo, the newest member of the Baltimore Orioles. A caveat, Servideo and I talked early, early Monday morning, so we were both tired and kind of delirious. I have no idea how it turned out, so you're going to find out with me. But he joins us right now after we hear first from Modern Woodman and BNA Bank. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool, we'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman Phone Line, brought to you by Thomas Chandler. It's Anthony Servideo, now former Ole Miss shortstop, the newest member of the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles, man. How was your day? How was your draft day? Tell me about it. Yeah, it was crazy. Lots of emotions. Um, it all happened so fast. It, it still really doesn't feel real. Um, and I don't think it will until I'm actually, you know, playing out there. But just crazy moment for me and my family. So where were you? And uh, what was the reaction from your family once your name was called and it was the Orioles? So it was my parents, my two sisters, and then my uncle and my cousin. We were all at my house watching in the living room. 
I get a call on a commercial break between round two and three. So I run outside because my Wi-Fi sucks in my house. So I wouldn't be able to hear it. I didn't want to want it to screw up. But went outside, got the call from my agent. He said, oh, how does 74 of the Orioles sound? I was like, well, sounds pretty good to me. So then I walk back inside, and I don't really say anything to anybody. They're all staring at me. I just turn up the TV, and it happened, and everyone was screaming. Dogs were going crazy, and the tears started to roll in. It was just unbelievable. Obviously, that's the moment you've been waiting for your entire life. Did it meet the moment for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just hearing my name come from that TV is just all the hard work that you put in. You know, this is just one of the one of the boxes that you check off and on the way up and it's just unbelievable. Had you had much conversation with the Orioles beforehand? What was the scouting process like? Because I know that Ole Miss got a lot of calls about you. Yeah, so I hadn't heard a ton from the Orioles, but I knew that they were definitely interested in, you know, later rounds. So just in the back of my mind, I was like, man, that would be so cool. Um, uh, I don't know if you know this, but my grandfather played for them, won Rookie of the Year in 65 and World Series 66. So it was just so cool to, to hear my name get called for them. And My mom was so emotional just because it's the same team, and it's just crazy how things worked out. Was third round about where you thought you'd go? Oh Yeah, I was. My thoughts were end of second round, you know, start of the third round. Just things happen to work out, and I'm super excited about it. Okay, so those first couple of days leading up to the draft, you know it's coming on Wednesday, Thursday. What are the nerves like for you, man? <laughs> it was the longest week in my entire life. <laughs> I felt like it, it felt just forever. And, you know, day one, wasn't nervous. Day two, I mean, I was – I woke up nervous, and then I kept myself occupied, went to the field, went to the gym, and it's so weird. I remember this so vividly. I have, like, a 20-minute drive from the gym to my house, and I was on my way home to the gym, and I literally started freaking out. Like, <laughs> I thought I was having a panic attack. Cause my heart was beating super fast. Like, I don't even know what happened, but it was just, like, that 20-minute span where my I just – I was freaking out, but after that, I mean, it was I wasn't really, you know, panicked or anything like that. What's the plan now? I know the Orioles have probably set forth um, an idea of what they want you to do. Yeah, well, honestly, I don't really know. Just because they don't know, they don't know what's going on with MLB and and all that kind of stuff. I'm assuming I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and sign and do all the media stuff. Hopefully, within the next month. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with that, but I don't really know yet, to be honest. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about dealing with Major League Baseball and everything in the era of COVID-19 is that you just don't know. For you, what have you done, though, at home in order to stay in shape? Because you think about the season you were having at Ole Miss. So how do you stay in game-ready shape? Yeah, well, so I've been I've been able to do pretty much everything. I've been able to work out go to the field, hit, throw, take up balls, run. Um, and then recently we've been able to face some live arms down here. So honestly, I'm pretty much game ready. You know, I've, I've seen a live arm for just a week, but, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. But I feel great. I feel like I'm in good shape and just itching to get back on the field. The interesting thing, too, is you've been vocal about – just what y'all could have accomplished this year and um, getting to Omaha and things mm-hmm. like that. Is it tough then when you know that? I mean, look, you're you're headed to the pros, man. This is what you always wanted, but this closes that door. Is that a bittersweet thing for you? Yeah, for sure. Just because wasn't able to, you know, finish off the season, like you said, and, uh, you know, with such a great team that we had, it does suck, but, I mean, it's it's part of – you know, part of the whole process. You know, this is what I've been working for my entire life, and, you know, a good thing. It's the best thing, and Tyler got it done too, man. Tyler's going to the Mariners. What yeah, do you think when you saw that? Was, I was so pumped for him. You know, I was 
texting him the whole time, you know, asking him how he was feeling. We are having good conversations. And then, you know, after I got picked, some of my buddies came over. We were, you know, having a good time. And then I saw him get picked, and I, I texted him right away. You know, I'm just super proud of him. And, you know, he's going he's gonna to do great. So it's going to be really fun to watch. What was the draft lead-up like as far as the information you were getting? Because you're going to be nervous no matter what, but I would assume that uh, you started hearing all these different things and maybe this team you thought was interesting passes or something like that. What, what was that like? What all were you getting, the information? Yeah, so, I mean, there was, we narrowed it down to, you know, select few teams that were seriously interested and were willing to, you know, think about picking me. And so we narrowed that down, and when the, their picks came on TV, obviously I'd get a little bit more nervous than other teams, but, you know, everything worked out in the end. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Okay, come on, come on. Who are the other teams? <laughs> Um, Seattle, Pittsburgh, the Cardinals, the Rays, and the Giants. You could have been a Brave? Oh, God. Oh, God. Are you a Braves fan? Yeah. Yeah. You should see my office right now. It's just littered with Brave stuff. And knowing that you could have been a Brave, that's tough. I will say every time I play the show, it's either the Orioles who drafts me or I just send myself to the Braves. So it's best of both worlds, man. <laughs> So have they told you they want you to stick at shortstop? Because that was the big question going into this year was, can you stick at shortstop? Has that kind of been the information you were getting back to? I mean, yeah, hopefully. I'd love to stay at shortstop, and I totally think I can. But, you know, wherever they want to play me, I'm going to go out there and, you know, play my ass off. Um, You know, I think it's good that I'm able to play a bunch of different positions, but – I don't really know what what they think yet. Um, we'll see when once we start get playing games and getting out back on the field. But uh, I, w- I would assume so. I mean, I, that's what I got drafted as. So we'll see what happens. What is uh, the thing you think you proved most this year? The consistency, you know, of me at the plate within the 17 games, and me being able to play shortstop. You know, I played probably. I don't know, five games at short at most before this year. And so it's just weird to think about, you know, is that my normal position? And my thought is, like, these people have never seen me play shortstop before, but, like, that's that's my best position. Like, that's where I play the best at on the field. And it's just kind of weird to think about it like that. But I think showing people that I can play shortstop um, was was really good for me. What is it about shortstop for you that's just different than every other position? Because you showed you could play the outfield. You learned that at Ole Miss. <laughs> you're playing the outfield. You're playing second yeah, base. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's maybe just the action that I get at shortstop. You know, I feel like definitely in the premium position where a lot of balls you're in. I think just having that makes me, makes me feel comfortable there. And I love being in the, in every play or as many plays as I can, and, you know, it's it's just fun for me. You know, I just love diving in the six-hole, popping up and throwing my arm out, trying to get this guy out. You know, it's just one of those things. Has the bleach started to finally fade away? Uh, no, it has <laughs> not. But my hair is about half black, half blonde right now. Oh, God. My roots are going out like crazy. Oh, <laughs> Uh, see, they, they love the tradition until it starts to wind down, and then, yeah, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, just a little bit. I haven't been able to get it fixed, but I guess I have had plenty of time in the recent month to get it fixed, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right, so who's going to be Ole Miss's starting shortstop next year if you had to handicap it? Oh, man. Um, I'm thinking TJ, TJ McCants, the freshman coming in. I think he has the ability to – to prove himself right when he gets there, and I'm excited to see what he does. As far as leadership is concerned, you got Tim Elko coming back. He announced that uh, Peyton took on that role as a freshman. So from a leadership mm-hmm. standpoint, that was something that you had to grow into that we've talked about before. What would that advice be to taking ownership and stepping up into that role? Make sure the guys know that, you know, you play for them and just lead by example, you know, whatever they're going to look up to you especially the big name guys and the guys who 
are supposed to step up and, and be that leadership and just make sure they know that, you know, you're not just some kid that that's here to put up numbers and get out. You know, you're here to win a national championship. You're here to do anything you can, you know, to help the team win. And, uh, you know, I think they'll follow in your footsteps for sure. But it's it's huge having Chatagnier, you know, Derek Diamond, Dunhurst, these guys that do act as leaders now and so early in their careers. And I think, you know, it's going to, it's going to lead them in the right direction and the players that come after them, it's going to, you know, help them follow in their footsteps. So this time next year, are they going to be in Omaha? Absolutely. Without a doubt. I have zero doubt in my mind and I can't wait to book my flight and I'm going to be right above the dugout. It's going to be a fun time. You should come. Oh, I'll be there. Because what we'll have to do is, um, you know, there's casinos just outside of the city limits of Omaha. I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just saying. We could uh, have some fun with that. Just, he's Anthony Servidio. Before we go, man, I, I know Ole Miss fans will be listening to this, and obviously everybody's excited for you. And um, you were such a fan favorite, and I mean the leader of this team that criminally had the season cut short. So for Ole Miss fans, what do you tell Ole Miss fans as you uh, head off for your pro career? Um. Well, first off, I just want to thank every single one of you guys. You know, you made my career at Ole Miss super special, and you know, I'm so thankful to uh, to have been able to put on the Ole Miss uniform and have your guys' support behind me. You know, without without you guys, it doesn't make Ole Miss special. You know, and doesn't make Swayze special or the team or anything. They have such a huge impact on us players that I don't really think they realize. You know, especially when we're playing, and. Uh, you know, I'm just so thankful for it. Well, dude, congratulations, man. I know everybody's excited for you. Go out there and crush it. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was now former Ole Miss shortstop Anthony Servideo. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Bit on Twitter. Brian Scott Rippey coming back in just a second. Before he does, let me tell you real quick, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. When you do, leave a five-star review. Doesn't matter what you say, you know the deal. Just leave a five-star review. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. Both Rippy and myself write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and affiliate of 247 Sports. Talk of Champions is brought to you in part by Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford and Olive Branch. Talk of Champions is brought to you in part by Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford and Olive Branch. That's right, Brennan. He spent eight years on the football staff at Ole Miss as a recruiting analyst, as he detailed brilliantly in a recent interview on this podcast. But he's out now. He's out of the game, having joined the family business, where his goal is to be with you through every step of the car buying experience, from purchasing to financing to servicing, all the way to the purchase of the next vehicle and the one after that. When you arrive on the lot at Homer Skelton Ford and Olive Branch, you'll quickly realize that this is a family business, which I can personally vouch for because I recently went through this process with Brennan. And I can safely say, if you're in his area, there's no one better to contact to help you find that car you've been searching for through someone you can trust. So reach out to him today at BrennanChapman.com. That's B-R-E-N-N-O-N Chapman.com. Whether it's shopping new or used, Brennan can help you out. That's Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford in Olive Branch. All right, Ole Miss Baylor officially has been moved to Sunday, September 6th. Tell me why it matters. That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, it'll probably end up being a standalone game. I'm guessing I'm guessing it'll be a night game. I don't know if they – I didn't see if they released a time when they officially announced it. But usually there's not too many games on Sunday of that Labor Day weekend. There's usually just a standalone one uh, at night. But uh, outside of that, I don't know. This just felt like the worst kept secret since like late March that this was happening. And then they finally, they finally just announced it. But I don't know. I mean, more exposure, I guess, in terms of eyeballs watching – I don't think it's because most people have work off the next Monday. So in terms of like getting there and traveling, I don't think it makes a huge difference. Um, I, I think for most people, it means nothing other than you're just going to have to watch it on Sunday because the Texas governor, I think last week came out and said that it's only going to be 50% capacity in stadiums in Texas, at least to start. So most people aren't going to be going to this game from Ole Miss. I have no idea what that crowd's going to look like. I don't know if it's going to be 50% with a 25% down the middle split on both sides for Ole Miss and Baylor, or it's just going to be pretty much walk-ups on the street. I know a lot of Ole Miss fans will try to travel, and they should, but is it going to be available to them? So for this game, 
when I saw it get moved to September 6th, I was like, oh, that's a big deal. But wait, is it really? Because for most everyone, it's just going to be watching it on a different day on television. Yeah, I agree. I think we were talking about it on the pod last week that stadium holds 80K, and I think there was 41 announced attendance uh, for the 18 game there between them and Texas Tech. And there was probably actually fewer people than that because I remember the crowd that day, and I'm going to bet that's just tickets sold. Uh, but obviously the program's in a much different place than it was then. A lot more excitement with Kiffin, no bowl ban. Uh, Texas Tech was awesome. I think, uh, what's his face? Uh, Kingsbury got fired after that year. Anyway, it's point being, two programs, not a ton of excitement. This is definitely a hotter ticket to get, but they'll fill it up to 40000 Um Again, I, like you said, I don't know what that ticket a lot it looks like. I don't know how hard it'll be to get in there, but yeah, I mean, it'll look half full, much like it did on Labor Day weekend two years ago. If you were an Ole Miss fan sitting here right now and you were wavering on whether or not to commit to going to the game, which way, if you had to make a decision right now, would you lean? My mindset's probably a little bit different because I don't have like a wife or kids or anything and very few responsibilities. And I have two or three buddies that work in Houston. I like Houston. I think it's a cool city. So I'd probably go just an excuse to kind of have the weekend to go see them. Um, and that's a cool stadium. It's a cool place to watch a game. Kiffin's first game, you could always say you were there. I'd probably go if I could. I think that that crowd's going to skew young. I definitely agree with that. That's uh, because there's already a lot of. I mean, I'm sure there's older alums in Houston too, but a lot of people, younger out of state alums in that Houston area, that's kind of a a a young person's road trip. And I don't mean that just in the sense that like it's easy to for kind of zip over to Houston, zip back. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think it'll skew young as well. And I think John Rice Plumley's going to be the quarterback. Okay, that was this. That was a hell of a segue. That was that's what we're talking about the, the the national perception of Corral versus Plumlee versus like local. I don't necessarily disagree. I've kind of been in the I don't know camp the whole time. I leaned Corral at first, but then I remembered that you know Nick Saban went. I uh, Lane Kiffin went to a playoff with with Blake Sims at like a, a, a transferred running back, and he did the same thing with Jalen Hurts. So. I, I, I'm in the, firmly in the camp of I don't know. I'm torn, and I wish we had had a spring to see because I feel like I at least have some idea. Um, but I guess the no, this, if this has helped anyone, it's got to help Plumlee, right? Because he was presumably going to fall a little bit behind being at the baseball field a lot of the time. But uh, now that's all just kind of a wash. Yeah, Kiffin admitted it last week that effectively it helped Plumlee because now they're both on even footing because they wouldn't have gotten to see John Rice Plumlee. He'd have been at baseball, even though he wouldn't have been playing all that much. Anthony Tresh of Pro Football Focus had seven, yes, seven areas in which quarterbacks must excel in order to have success. Accuracy, touch, anticipation, arm strength, mobility, pocket presence, and protecting the ball. You already know this, but who wants to guess where Plumlee was number one in the country? Deep ball throwing. (laughs) (laughs) My second guess was mobility. (laughs) It's obviously mobility. Oh, all I could think whenever I read that is, okay, accuracy. Didn't get to see that because Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez just refused to let the kid throw. Touch, don't know about that either. Anticipation, don't know about that either. Arm strength, eh, we can all tell his arm strength. He's, he doesn't have the arm talent as far as being able to throw it a long, long way like Matt Corral. Pocket presence, don't know about that either. Protecting the ball, he protects the ball. So mobility in protecting the ball, he's two for seven so far. Yeah, you just nailed a, a really good point because I found myself guilty of this last year covering the team and then I'd go on the radio show or a podcast or write about it or whatever. And I've just started crafting my own narrative based on the limited things I saw that, okay, they're playing the quarterback that can't throw and only run and then intermittently mixing in the kid that can do a little bit of both when it should be the opposite. Like, if anything, who would be a package guy? It would be Plumley, but it ended up kind of being corralled towards the end of the year. But as the season wore on and we started talking about it in the offseason, I just found out that wasn't really a fair narrative for me to craft. I mean, I was guilty of it as well. I wasn't the only one. But what do we actually know about Plumlee's throwing ability? Because the offense in that scheme were an unmitigated disaster. And I don't think it's really fair to judge him a ton based off of that. Because, like I said, he was being asked to do things that didn't put him in positions to succeed in terms of throwing the ball. Now, running, he was, he was you know, a man amongst boys oftentimes. But, like... I just how how fair is it to criticize him and how much can you criticize him? I, I think less and less every time I, I have the conversation. Now the devil's advocate, other side of that is, 
Well, the reason why you didn't see much is because the coaching staff didn't trust him. And what does that say about him as a passer if they didn't trust him? My response to that would be, that's the offense that Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez wanted, what you saw last year. They didn't want to throw the ball over the field. You went from one extreme, Phil Longo, and his inexplicable commitment to chasing grass, whatever the hell that meant, to Rich Rodriguez. And what has Rich Rodriguez built his entire career around? Running quarterbacks and the ability to outrun everyone and then the passing element plays off of the run. The problem is, is if you don't have complete trust and commitment with your quarterback to push the ball down the field, and if your offense isn't a dynamic running offense, it almost was a dynamic running offense in spurts, but it could get bottled up pretty quickly because they just refused to allow that kid to throw, which meant that defenses knew when that kid was in, we're not even going to worry about him throwing the ball because we know they don't trust him to throw it. Even though he might be able to throw it, we don't know because these guys were so hell-bent on... It was like playing prevent defense in every aspect of your program. They were trying to mitigate the risk in every single way imaginable. Rather than trying to play to win games so much as doing everything you can. And you saw it. And what I mean by that is, do they want to win the game? Of course they do. But when there was nothing to lose at Vanderbilt, and Matt Lucas coaching that team, he played it completely by the book. There was no going for it on fourth down. There was no trick play or anything like that. It was all about mitigating risk for a program that for a couple of years when they couldn't go to a bowl, had no reason to mitigate risk, but then they could go to a bowl and they were still playing things right down the middle and were so afraid to take chances. If you're going to make John Rice Plumlee your quarterback, let the guy be a quarterback. You're asking him to fail when you're running, 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 and then when it's time to pass on obvious passing downs, you're running two wide receivers out on a route. It makes it so easy. And I am a football layman. And even I'm watching that and going, oh, my God, they're having to guard two dudes. You're keeping your tight end in the block. You're basically letting Elijah Moore run a slant short of the first down marker. And then Braylon Sanders or whoever out there is running maybe a post kind of pattern. The only reason why Ole Miss got down there and scored a touchdown against Mississippi State, which led to the Elijah Moore hiking his leg up and everybody unfairly blaming that kid for that loss because way more went into it than that was because in the huddle, Matt Corral told Braylon Sanders, run this. They didn't even run the play. They didn't run the play that was called. Low-key power move admitting that on the radio broadcast too. Just straight up acknowledging it. it well, that, that's Matt Corral though. I mean, I think Matt Corral, maybe John Rice, well, John Rice Pumley is like the kid that's going to be president of the United States one day. Right, he's like the true face guy. If you're in a fraternity, he's a face guy. He's but, a kid. I, my mom wishes I was. Yes, yes. You bring him home, your mom goes. Hang out with him more. <laughs> yeah, you need to bring him around more often. But yeah, he would never say it. But let's be honest. These kids are human. They're not dumb. They're not robots. There's no way that they played in that offense for 12 games and didn't think, "What the hell are we doing?" <laughs> And half the time, you mentioned the passing thing and the little creativity with it. On top of the whole two-route thing, half the time you're rolling out to somehow, sometimes the short side of the field. So you're literally just yes. using a quarter of the field with two routes. It made no sense whatsoever. And I think the perfect encapsulation of what you're talking about, there were some moments in the Egg Bowl talking about mitigating risk where even before Elijah Moore hiked his leg, Matt Luke sending the kicker out to go to overtime in a game you literally have nothing to lose. And then the second part of that in terms of just what a disaster the scheme was, Auburn game always sticks out to me is just how awful that oh. whole scheme was because they couldn't do anything and still had a chance to win the game because of the defense. The defense wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. They were on the field all the time because this offense would just sputter and sputter. Because let's be honest, Rich Rodriguez – he was at his hottest in the mid to late 2000s. Isn't that about right? 2008, 2009? Yep. I had a 2008 Pathfinder. It was given to me as a graduation present. After a while, the cruise control went out. After a while, the transmission, you got to do some work on it. Imagine had I not done any of this stuff with this Pathfinder. What would have happened? It has sputtered out and died. <laughs> That's Rich Rodriguez's offense in 2019. And he had like, there was like a brief, they weren't even that good at Arizona, but it was just like a brief 
Mirage like blasting it back to the past because he found a ridiculous athlete in Khalil Tate. But yeah. I think you would have seen him be exposed even sooner if he had not stumbled upon him. From everybody I've talked to, let's just put it this way. John Rice Plumley's QB1 right now. That's the belief. He's QB1. Why is it that there's just such a huge divide in terms of the way nationally John Rice Plumley is perceived and locally? I think nationally those guys watch these games on television and you know they're probably not watching Ole Miss Missouri per se when you know they had to put Matt Corral finally back in because Plumley couldn't move the ball at all offensively and then Corral makes two throws over the middle of the field of that last drive before halftime that Plumley just I don't know if he can't make them but was never even going to be maybe given the opportunity to and then the drive sputters out because they do some stupid stuff around the goal line. But point being, they don't see that, but they do see John Rice Plumley run for a bajillion yards against LSU. And the way he runs, his foot speed is so quick. It's just like it's like almost tantalizing. Like when his, his debut, when he debuted at Alabama, the first time he got the edge and got around to the corner, like I kind of looked around. I think I was sitting next to Nick Suss, and I was like, whoa, he is fast. And like it, it, it kind of takes you – takes you aback a little bit. So I think they see that and think, why not try to make him into an exceptional exceptional talent towards you just didn't see a ton of Corral. But locally here, when you're watching every single game, you can tell Corral has more arm talent than him. And you got so frustrated at all the three and outs of watching it over and over again and then running <laughs> quarterback right, quarterback left, something up the middle and out. They're, they're, they created this split. And if you're only seeing like the fancy new toy that runs really fast nationally, you're probably thinking he's a lot better to whereas everyone here was conflicted because no matter who they put in, it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> oh, the third and six, and let's run a four-yard flag route with Elijah Moore, hoping he can catch it and run for two more yards. It's or th- hell, half the time, just a quarterback keeper. Let's not even <laughs> run anyone out. Let's just see if he can catch the edge. <laughs> Uh, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I'm going to say this till I'm blue in the face because we got to get out of here. If you believe, and I think everybody believes this, that Lane Kiffin and his staff is a significant step up from Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez, and you know the track record that Lane Kiffin has of making quarterbacks out of pretty much anyone with a good base of raw talent. If he can do that with Blake Sims, what could he do with John Rice Plumley? Then you have to ask the question, rather than who's the better quarterback from what you know and you have seen in that disaster of an offense last year, ask yourself this question. With Lane Kiffin, the quarterback developer, knowing his track record, which piece of clay do you think he can mold and best make the perfect quarterback? And if that answer is John Rice Plumley, well, there you go. It could be Matt Corral, but I think if you want to just look at overall raw tools, who has the best raw tools? I mean, throwing-wise, isn't it Corral? But there's so much upside with the feet with Plumley. That's what I'm saying. That's the battle. And another, no one ever wants to talk about this, but uh, Ole Miss hasn't made it through a season with the same quarterback since 2015. That's true. And so what happens if one of them's named the starter and the other one wants to transfer out before school starts? To oh, no, that's year? the Ole Miss Spirit message board wet dream. Then it's Grant Tisdale time. Uh, yeah, but do you, I mean, point being with you, if you're going to run him as much, don't you need a reliable backup quarterback? Like, I have no idea if whoever loses the job will stick around. I think one's probably more likely to than the other. But, like, there's going to be some value in having both of them, particularly if it ends up being Plumley, because he's going to be way more susceptible to get injured. And it's not like Ole Miss has had a track record of protecting their quarterbacks. Well, some of it, that's not fair. Some of it's just freak injury stuff because their offensive line has been pretty good. But point being, they haven't made it through a season with one quarterback in five years. There's going to be value of having them both on the roster if you can keep them. The last thing I'll say, and I feel confident in saying this, if Matt Corral loses the quarterback job and doesn't play quarterback, he's going to transfer. That's going to happen. Right. If John Rice Plumley isn't the quarterback, everyone says, oh, moving to wide receiver, moving to running back. If you ask that kid in any public or private setting, he will tell you definitively, I'm a quarterback. I'm a quarterback. I don't know, though, if any other opportunity would be out there for him to play two sports at another school. But I don't think it's such a slam dunk that John Rice Plumley gets moved off a quarterback. He's just going to take it and play. Because he well, thinks that's why he's and believes. not Georgia in part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he didn't want to not play quarterback. 
if you're having the conversation about, well, Matt Corral can be the quarterback, John Rice Plumley can be a running back, he can be a wide receiver, he can be Percy Harvin. That's great in theory, but they're human beings. And that kid, he believes himself to be a quarterback first and foremost. And if he can have an opportunity to go be a quarterback somewhere else, if he's not going to be a quarterback here, he'd probably give up that opportunity at baseball and go play football. Because I think all of us watching him play baseball, his future's in football. Not to say he's a bad baseball player, his future's in football. Agree, which it almost wouldn't. I mean, I, that's what was puzzling to me about and what would have happened as we gone through this season. Because I, if he if he wants to be a quarterback, first and foremost, everyone sees his future is in football. It was kind of just baffling, particularly with him not playing very much, that he would kind of kind of throw the spring by the wayside to keep playing baseball. I'm not going to tell the kid what to do. He's a college student. I'm sure he's having the time of his life playing two sports. But just from giving yourself the best shot to succeed as a quarterback, the whole sticking with baseball actually through the season was puzzling. And also baseball honeys are, you know, way Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Just be honest. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippey at BS Rippey on Twitter. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions on iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. We both now write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and a fleet of 247 Sports. Enjoyed it, man. We'll talk again. Sounds good. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.